Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you are with us by your spirit, and I pray even now as I speak uh, that you would bring to each of us that one thing that we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we are talking today about not having favoritism, uh, which is really difficult for us because we all have favorites. I asked someone before the service, what was your favorite breakfast cereal? Um, And he couldn't remember what it was called, but he knew it had cranberries in it. Anyone else like that one? Um, and, uh, but, but favoritism is something that's so instinctive for us as people. We all have our favorites. You might be wearing your favorite Sunday shirt today. Um, who knows? We all have favorites. And so in James chapter 2, um, my brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Uh, Melody mentioned three weeks ago now um, that we don't actually hear a lot about Jesus in uh, James. This is one of those verses where Jesus is mentioned. Um, Obviously, the wisdom that James is speaking about is is wisdom as a follower of Jesus to them then and us now, others who are followers of Jesus. But here we get a specific reference to Jesus. This is one of them. And and it's around, don't show favoritism. Uh, So I don't know how many of you are wearing some gold today. I've got a white gold uh, wedding band on. A few other people have some gold things that I can see, a few rings, uh, earrings, Necklaces, bracelets, teeth, um, and that kind of thing. Uh, so um, I was trying to do that with a straight face. Um, and uh, so, so you have to imagine back then, the only people that would have had access to gold would have been the really rich. Um, and we, we hear today about the disparity between rich and poor, um, of which, which is, is a big disparity, um, even here in Canada. Uh, but the, the disparity back then was, was almost more magnified. Um, there, there is no way that people would have had gold unless they were really rich. Um, and so this passage presents for us some difficulties. Um, back in the Middle Ages, you know, we, we love talking about pews, don't we, in the church? Uh, um, last week at the 1015 service, I showed um, an advertisement for Marmite, um, Marmite is an absolutely disgusting, I can't say that, I'm sued. Marmite is something that you either love or you hate, I'll say it that way. And that's their whole advertising campaign. It's this uh, yeast-based thing. I think they call it Vegemite in Australia, and it's Marmite in the UK, a similar kind of thing. It's kind of made of yeast. Uh, a few of you have had it. Marmite, you know what I mean? Great. Um, if you haven't, you're not missing anything. Um, but therein lieth my bias against Marmite. Um, but... Uh, there was a point to this, and I've now completely forgotten it. Um, what was I saying? Yes. So pews, that was it. Uh, pews can be like, Mama, we either love them or we hate them. And it's interesting when you look at church history, which I've, I've done quite a lot of, and you know, I didn't like history at school, but then when I went to seminary and started ch- studying church history, I found it really fascinating. Um, so what you'll see on the screen there is a church uh, that has some box pews. You'll notice there's like a door on the edge of the pew. Um, and what happened was churches didn't used to have any seating uh, back in the day. Uh, there was no seating at all. Um, and uh, it was probably, if you think of, of towns and, and villages in Europe, that there wouldn't have been many big buildings um, it was a lot harder to construct things. So, so the church was probably the marketplace. People may well have traded animals or done all sorts in them. And uh, so what happened was there were some people who were, who were quite wealthy, like the lords and ladies of the manors and all that kind of thing. And uh, they had the opportunity to buy a pew in the church. Um, and so what you can see there um, 
is, uh, and, and, and you know, these days they have an application box pews. I'll tell you in a second why they can be useful. But the, the idea was, you, it was your pew. So you bought it, uh, you owned it, and no one else could sit in it. And if you're the lord of the manor, um, a bit like some of our friends who have cottages in different places, you're not in church all the time. And so what you'd end up with is these churches where the poor folk would be at the back, uh, standing room only, and the pews that belonged to the rich folk were empty, and they were reserved. Um, I saw some when I was looking uh, down the rabbit hole of trying to find a picture of box pews. Um, and there's some, uh, I think it was in a church in Boston, uh, Massachusetts, which, which had um, this beautiful kind of red velvet seating and cushions and were really luxurious. But, it, you know, it's, that's kind of what they would have been like. Of course, uh, so here's, here's why they could be useful these days and they haven't completely obliterated them in some churches. Because if you have young children, you know where I'm going with this, uh, and you've got them in church, then they've got a nice place they can, they can play in, and they're not going to run around and trip over any of the cables and that kind of thing. Um, but the whole point was that the, the box pew, um, it was a way of, of showing favoritism. If you've got the money to afford a seat, great. You can build one, you can have it. So uh, knowing that history, now and again people say, well, can we, could, could we, could we if we buy some new seats, could we put people's names on them? And you'll see my face go, <laughs> because it just sends me back to uh, that point where, well, no, we paid for it. You can't do anything with it. Um, and that lasted for a long time. Of course, this is the challenge, isn't it, for us as the church? Because if someone really wealthy comes along, we would like to welcome them because we'd love them to contribute towards our new cameras so we can get the live stream even better. It's a challenge. But we have to put that to one side and get back to what Jesus says. What Jesus says is that we're all the same. And as um, another example, uh, some of you have, have seen a TV program called Keeping Up Appearances with Hyacinth Bouquet. And, and that's, that's, has anyone else seen that? Uh, homework tonight, go and find an old British TV channel and watch an episode of Keeping Up Appearances with Hyacinth Bouquet, because if I had time to show you one, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, you, you see her, she has the rector over for dinner, and, and you see she's trying to keep her sister, who's uh, quite poor, away from the house because she doesn't want to upset the rector. The great irony there, it's absolutely brilliant piece of uh, research you could do uh, if you want to look into this more. Um, but it is our tendency that we have to get away from as Christians um, is to not show favoritism. Because as James goes on to say, God has chosen all. And there's a particular focus on choosing the poor. Because the poor don't have the money to buy themselves, out of, to buy themselves salvation in their mind. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. There they are. Um, they've got these rich people. Back in Roman times, um, even the laws were different. If, in terms of the penalty that, that you would get for some kind of a crime, if you were rich, you'd get a very small penalty, and if you were poor, you would get a much bigger penalty. That was how much life was stacked against them. 
And so James is saying in verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. If you really can keep that law, then you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are as convicted by the law as lawbreakers. You know, there's this whole, um, James goes on to talk about this, this, this whole idea that there are different levels of, of things that are bad. You know, if someone steals your shoe and someone else murders somebody, effectively, both have broken the law. Both have fallen short. Neither of those is okay. And, and in the eyes of salvation, it doesn't matter what we've done. And this is the message of the gospel. It doesn't matter what we've gone, done. We've all fallen short, says Jesus. And that's what James is referring to here. And so he's trying to tie this all together to convince, uh, I guess, the, the people he's writing to, um, to be really careful not to show favoritism. To know that this, this law of loving your neighbor as yourself, if, that, that you'll be judged by it too. The reality is, the reason that we don't show favoritism is because we're all sinners in need of a savior. Week by week as we come to church or engage with church online, we're reminded that we're sinners in need of a savior. No one needs to tell us what our sins are because we know them. And as we come across the word, as we focus on God, these things come to light in our own lives. And so, James is saying, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. This reminder, time and again through this passage, that we're all sinners in need of a savior. And we have to put away the worldly things and to see what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying we cannot show favoritism because in God's eyes, all have been shown favoritism. When Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for each and every one of us. And even if James's logical, biblical arguments um, seem not to have convinced us that justice and that love demand the poor be treated well, then the, this is kind of the, the final reminder that we, we still need, we still need to honor the poor person out of mercy and fear of God's judgment, as one commentator puts it. But the mercy of God triumphs over judgment. What does that mean? It means that God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. And so the, the love that God has for us, which we see in Jesus, that, that's better than everything. That triumphs over judgment. And once again, we're in this place where we've got these two things. We've got mercy We've got judgment. And somehow, the two of them come together. 
We can't go around and, and do anything we like. We have to know that God is watching us. But yet, God is a God of grace. And so it is in that grace, it is as forgiven people, that we go out. We go out to seek and to serve the poor and the lost. At the start of the reading, it talks about what if someone comes into church um, wearing fine clothes and someone else comes in in filthy old clothes. And you've probably seen a number of people have done this experiment um, before. And uh, you may have seen a video of this on, on one of the social media channels or online or somewhere uh, or, or read about it. it. Every so often a pastor does this somewhere, normally in the States, and it makes the news. And what they do is they'll dress up as a homeless person sit outside the church, and then, um, and then at the time for the, the sermon, you know, everyone's waiting for the new pastor to come in, and, um, and in comes this homeless person disrupting the congregation, and it's this kind of test of the reaction that people will have, and then comes to the front and takes off the outfit, and there he is, I'm your new pastor. Um, I, I kind of have mixed thoughts about that, I think it's slightly devious. But it makes a really good point, and it's interesting to watch from afar, um, if you know what I mean. Because it is interesting how much, how easy it is uh, for us to make judgments. It is easy for us to make judgment. They say that it takes approximately um, seven seconds to make a decision about somebody based on what they're wearing. Um, I've experienced this many times. Um, I'm not old enough to be a priest. Um, I'm not sure at what point I do become old enough to be a priest, um, but uh, I, I remember it just, just so many times. Oh, you, you're not old enough to be a priest, people will say to me. Um, I think when my hair goes gray, which is beginning, um, but I'm not rushing it, I think at that point that might begin to change. Um, but uh, I'm, apparently I've been told many times I'm not old enough to be a priest. There's that judgment, isn't there, that people have. You, you see someone, you're not old enough to be a police officer. Um, you know, you're not old enough to do this or that. Well, at what age is? And we have these mindsets. And so I'll finish here. As we see people in the world, we have to think about what would it look like for them to come to our church? Are we ready to welcome them? Or would we say, this person doesn't look like one of us, so you can't come in? This person isn't wearing the right clothes. They've got too many whatever. They can't come in. They're driving the wrong vehicle. They can't come in. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Let's pray as we sit. Father, we thank you for this reminder here in James that all are welcome, that all can come in. And help us as we go about our week and encounter people, uh, not just to be looking to share the good news with some people, but to be looking to share the good news with all people. In Jesus' name, amen.